Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, we had a midterm election a couple of days ago. And a lot of us who were hoping for the big red wave um, didn't get it. Instead, we've got people are calling variously the big red trickle or the big red um, something. <laughs> but anyway, it wasn't big and it wasn't particularly red. And so now those of us who are conservative and who've been very concerned about the uh, the Biden and the Biden administration's agenda uh, are, are still concerned. And we want to know what we can do now with a slender majority in the House, and we're still not sure what will happen in the Senate, but we'll, and that won't be resolved for another month or so, but nevertheless, we, being practical people, have to proceed from here, so what do we do, and uh, how do we make things happen that benefit the, the uh, principles we believe in? Um, and to talk about this, I'm delighted, I've got my old friend, the very brilliant Paul Teller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take the well, old part. That I'll go. We'll check to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got. You know, you do have a doctorate, Paul. Yeah, you went to. I went definitely to, I'll uh, check you, to the friend part. I mean, all right. <laughs> pretty well educated, but you're also very practical because you spent a couple, a couple decades as leader and yeah. organizer in the conservative movement. I mean, you worked on Capitol Hill. Um, you worked for Ted Cruz as his chief of staff for liaison to, to the House uh, and Senate. You worked for Donald Trump. And you're now uh, working with Vice President Mike Pence, and I think, yeah. Paul, didn't you spend all four years in the in the Trump uh, White House in one capacity or another? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And by the way, let me just say, a great honor to be here. Glad we finally got this done. I know we've been trying for a while. You are an old friend, trusted ally. And, you know, it's great, great honor to be here. Um, well, yeah, yeah. All, all four years started day six. I wasn't there on day one uh, of the administration, <laughs> but six days in, uh, right, right to the very end. So yeah, well, all four that, years. There are not many people who can say that it was. An, it was as with most White Houses, there were a lot of com there's a lot of coming and going. But in a way, Paul, we've had trouble putting this together because your busy schedule and mine somewhat. But yeah, it, in a way, we're fortunate because it's after the midterm. We know what happened, uh, and I've got a couple of big questions: one, what happened, and two, where do we go from here? So first, let's start. And you talk to everybody in the movement, and I'm, I'm curious about your insights. What happened? Why why were we so wrong about uh, um, getting 50, 60 seat advantage in the House and 53, 54 seats in the Senate? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, first of all, let's all remain optimistic. I know when your viewers are seeing this, we may have more of the answers. But as of today, you know, two days after the election, we don't know everything. And, uh, you know, I'm still reminding some friends who are down in the dumps saying, you know, we might still have both houses of Congress, which would be a great, you know, a great outcome. It looks like we'll have at least one, uh, you know, the House, obviously. And so that's good news. But you're right. Why wasn't it that explosive wave that so many were predicting, myself included? I was Mr. Optimist on election night, you know, going around to the various receptions in D.C. saying, oh, we're going to have, you know, big, big numbers in the House, big in the Senate. Um, and I, I think the jury is still out. On a lot of it, I think what was great at some of the uh, conservative coalition meetings around D.C. yesterday when folks were talking about it, there was this sense of humility of saying, 
you know, I don't know. We don't exactly know what happened yet because there's no one formula. In other words, you can't say, well, all the principal people won and all the moderates lost. Well, that's not totally true, right? And you can't say, well, it was something in the South, but not the North. You know, it, it, almost any way you try to break it down. What's even more confusing, if you look at certain states, New York being a perfect example, right? Republicans lose the governorship, but it looks like that despite that, Lee Zeldin had coattails somehow uh, and brought in some new, uh, many new Republican members of the House. The reverse might be true in uh, you know Nevada, where Republicans do win statewide. Senator Laxalt, maybe the governor's race as well, those are both looking great. Um, but the House seats we thought we would flip in Nevada may not flip. So, yeah. right, there's just what a lot of division. About- anyway, it's a long way of saying, I think it's a little bit too soon to make any sort of sweeping conclusions, but it does look like uh, we didn't quite connect with uh, independents and swing voters in certain areas the way we thought. And we just have to, you know, kind of play it out and see, you know, learn more of that data as we get it. What about the theory that we had a, you know, if you look at the national polls, there was everything was on our side. But when you looked at individual races, those didn't match up as well with the national polls. And so you had a kind of everything. You know, what, what were local elections turned out to have very different dynamics in the national polls. And, you know, Mitch McConnell was dismaying. He said, well, we've got weak candidates. I'm not, I don't think we had weak candidates particularly, right. but each state lined up with a different uh, different dynamic. Uh, no question, no question. And uh, obviously- yeah, But the thing, the thing, it's stunning, Paul, I, you yeah. know, Fetterman, Pennsylvania. <laughs> The man won the women's vote by 20 points. And it seemed like they were able to capitalize on this ableist charge where somehow we were being mean people because we thought somebody who couldn't put together a sentence or comprehend a sentence uh, might not ought to be senator. And yet they they seem to win on, uh, they seem to win because of that. Yeah, I think maybe we didn't realize we were doing this, but I guess we made him the victim, right? And, And like you said, some people felt sorry for him. And, you know, maybe they felt like Dr. Oz was being a bully or, or, or something. I, I don't know. But well, uh, yeah, I think that's something else we need to do some soul searching on is, you know, how is it that, you know, uh, a, a guy who wears a hoodie, you know, tattoos, just doesn't at all look or sound like a U.S. senator captured, you know, the the hearts of so many Pennsylvanians. We, you know, we got to figure out that lesson because, uh, you know, on paper, yeah. it looks like Dr. Oz should have run away with it. And um, that might be true in some other other races around yeah. the country yeah. as well. But I agree with you. I don't think uh, we should just say, oh, bad candidates. Uh, what about the more sinister? Right. Some what, about the, some what about the more? And, and I guess I favor this one a bit that this somewhat more sinister explanation is that the whole process of our elections now are broken. And, you know, we've got a lot of factors at work. We've got the mail-in ballots, which are uh, yeah. still coming in in the millions. And, of course, those come in early. Um, and, and some states let people contribute mail-in ballots after the election's over, after Election Day has passed. And so, and we really can't tell who voted with the mail-in ballots. And it seems like in 2020, the Democrats took full advantage of that. And it looks like that happened again uh, in, in this midterm. Yeah, no question. And I think that's something we've we've really got to get our our, our heads around is, uh, as, as our friend Cleta Mitchell and others like to call it unsupervised voting. 
has become, you know, <laughs> a big a problem. Way. Well, it's supervised right. by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, that's true. Maybe there's the wrong folks, but, but you know what I mean? In other words, um, and it's not to imply that the American people, you know, need, need supervision like school children. It's just more to say that uh, something as important as voting, we've always believed in America that, you know, you kind of have a check on it. You have a, another set of eyes on something, right? When you go into the polling place, uh, the reason in-person voting was always so important was you know, someone else checks you in, a different person gives you a ballot, maybe a different person shows you how to inst insert your ballot, you know, just different eyeballs. And so there's um, less chance for fraud because there's so many different uh, kind of checks in the system, almost equivalent to as you board an airplane, right? There's not kind of one layer of security. You have multiple layers. By the time you're sitting in your airplane seat, you feel like, all right, you know, this is probably about as safe as I'm going to be because I've gone through, you know, three, four different yeah. layers check. So same thing with, with voting. If there's no other, um, you know, eyeballs on someone's ballot when they fill it out at home, seal it, mail it in, uh, you know. Well, we don't even know that that's that actually what's happening. Who voted, I mean, right? Yeah. That's, so, that's the image, but I'm not sure that's the reality. Well, I had, a, I had some wicked fun at the polls in Rappahannock County on Tuesday. One of my friends, although we're a little estranged now, he's a radical progressive Democrat, <laughs> Um, yeah. We don't exactly see eye to eye, but he was handling the uh, the check-in, and he asked for my voter ID, my driver's license. Mm. And I said, "I said, well, don't you think this is a little racist?" <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And what did he say? He scowled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Of course, my uh, my county went sixty percent for the Republicans. I was happy about that. He wasn't. Uh, but the, but then there's a second factor. Do you know you've heard of Dr. Robert Epstein, right? Epstein, who's the PhD, is actually a liberal, and he's done a lot of work on Google and search engines, and now they skew search results to uh, influence right. how people vote. Even even as simple as sending messages to people they know are Democrats, encouraging them to vote, but not doing the same thing to Republicans. I mean, I I know that's not your area of expertise, but I think that's something we really need to study more. And evidently he's coming out with some very powerful analytics that show that might've been the case even, even this week. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, I think we've all experienced this in our lives where maybe you're, you know, you're Googling an organization, a conservative organization. And in the search terms, the organization's website itself either doesn't come up on the first page or it's right. like the bottom of the first page. And the first 10 things are liberal news stories criticizing that conservative organization. So, the inevitable I mean, New York Times hit piece. Yeah, or right. Politico. So you could, you could see it just even in a simple search. You're just looking for the, you know, the homepage of a, of a you know, very, very it. top of, uh, you know, very above board nonprofit organization. And you can't even get that. So yeah. On yeah, page six of Google search pages. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. And then there's this third piece that I'm, I'm think is, is Cleta Mitchell, who's been on her, her, uh, her mission or passion, and I think it should be all of ours, is that the Democrats have really focused much more on process. And, you know, yeah. we, you and I tend to talk about low taxes, regulatory relief, good judges, things like that, policy issues. And they don't really spend a lot of time on that. They spend on time making, they spend time making sure the local election laws favor them. But no question. No question. In fact, uh, that is something Cleta, I agree with she and I have been working on it. Uh, Gosh, it's really been more than 20 years since my first days at the Republican Study Committee on the on campaign finance reform and other related issues, because the Democrats much quick, much quicker got to the notion that 
policy and legislation are downstream from process, right? And the rules. In other words, first you got to have the right rules. Then later on, you work your policy and legislation into that, um, you know, into those rules, into that process. And so they realize, yeah, if you favor, if you change the process in your favor, you're much more likely to win elections and win your policy. And I think the conservative world is coming around to that with uh, so many election integrity efforts and, and other such things. Well, it, it seems like the Republicans, the conservatives, those of us that feel the way we do, we'd be pushing for in-person voting, yep. same day, yep. with paper. Yep. And, if, and if Brazil can do that, and Italy can do that, I think we could do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that, that seems so hard. And you know, some people say, oh, what, you know, maybe some early voting just to allow for the, the, the guy who can't get off of work during voting hours on election day. You know, maybe, right? Maybe it's one day, two days. But this notion of, you know, we'll hold the election months on of Sunday. early voting. Hold it on Sunday. That's what they do. And you know, I think yeah. both Italy and Brazil holds it on Sunday. No excuse. Right. Well, exactly. anyway, that's, but so, so so I'm talking, this is the Bill Walton show, and I'm talking with, uh, I'll say it again, the brilliant Paul Teller. <laughs> who's uh, executive director of the Advancing American Freedom uh, yes, Group, um, which is headed up by Mike Pence, and he's a great guy, and glad Paul's still working with him. And Absolutely. You all have put together a lot of interesting uh, interesting work. Um, you know, the I, I think the freedom agenda is one of them, America, Advancing American Freedom. But then also you've got a very interesting... Uh, um, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but a, a chart or a, a spreadsheet, which is called uh, the Biden Accountability Tracker. Right. Yeah. So I want to I want to shift gears from the election because that's okay. done. We've got some ideas about how to get it right going forward. But talk about what the tracker is and where people can find it and how this might guide us towards what we've got to do in the lame duck session. And then after uh, after people are sworn into office in January, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for for plugging plugging both of them. We can talk about both, but yeah, the Biden accountability tracker. It actually grew out of uh, some of my own personal frustrations in in the White House. I know you're saying, wait, there were frustrations in the White House. <laughs> Hard to believe. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I was I was as you know, I'm, you know, naturally an outreach guy. Just love to just connect with people based around sure. good ideas and strategy and all that. And so anytime I would want to connect with, with you or other leading conservatives, grassroots activists, whatever, um, many times folks would say, hey, do you have an updated list of all the great things the White House has done, all the accomplishments, right. or, or even things you'd try to do, even if you didn't fully succeed, but you know, just a good positive list. And just very often when I would ask around, either the list didn't exist, or it was old, or sure, I'll update it, it'll just take me two days, that kind of thing. And so out of that frustration, I said, you know what? Post White House, I'm going to start keeping my own personal tracker, uh, of course, in reverse for the Biden Harris White House, the negative things they were doing, all the horrible things that they were undoing about our administration. So I just started keeping a personal list on my own computer, didn't publicize it, shared it with a few allies, yourself and some others, just to say, hey, here are a few horrible things they've done you may not have noticed. Because part of what I wanted to do was track not just the big things, right? Fox News, you could get the big, horrible things that uh, Biden-Harris yeah, well, administration yeah. is doing. We're trying to track the smaller things, too. And so now we finally made it public. We cleaned up the language because my original personal language maybe wasn't 
so consumable for a public audience because it was just for I, me and a few close friends. Well, um, I, I, I think you should have issued the, <laughs> the annotated or the, the, the unedited version uh, exactly. or the unedited version. I mean, yeah, you know, no, that's right. That's right. Anyway, so now it's on our website, uh, advancingamericanfreedom.com. A little bit of a long name, but that's all that was available. Okay, advancingamericanfreedom.com. Advancing yeah. It's right there on the front page. It's it? right there. Yeah, you'll see this, you know, kind of a header for it, Biden Accountability Tracker. And you and just we, download it. And yeah, you I'm could, doing you right could now. search by month. Um, yeah. uh, uh, it's just really... Well, you're only, you're, you're only through August. I guess you were busy the last couple of months. <laughs> I was going to say, right, we, we need to update it. In fact, yeah. we're, our team is updating it as we speak. Uh, we had a little delay because, you know, lead up to the election, but hopefully next week we'll have, have it fully updated. Uh, and like I said, we're trying to, to track whether it be bills that they propose or bills that they sign, executive orders they issue, letters and directives they issue to the agencies, regulations they put out for comment, just anything, a lot of which the, the media either misses totally or ignores. Um, and then sometimes there's even something that, you know, sounds okay, but then we're trying to dig into it and say, wait a minute. You know, there's transgender stuff in here, or there's kind of, you know, horribly anti-business, anti-capitalist stuff in here, and, you know, really pull it out and try to amplify well, it. Well, I so highly we'll recommend it to anybody watching or listening, because this is in one place, yeah. you can go through a very comprehensive, and it's not 53 pages of right. policy stuff, it's it's maybe 50, 75 words on each, each thing that's happened, the name of the bill, and or the executive order or, yeah, or whatever. Where you can go for more information. We try to put the link in there if you want to read the executive order yourself. Yeah. We also tried to not put in just every horrible statement that the president or vice president makes, because that would be dozens every day, you, you, right? You'd need a lot, you'd need a lot more room than this. A lot more room. We need a new <laughs> server, you know. I mean, it would, <laughs> right. So that we figured that wouldn't be useful for folks. And also we didn't put in nominees, because again, each nominee is a horrible progressive leftist. So why just put thousands of nominees in there to cloud it up? Plus other organizations like the American Accountability Foundation, great friends over there, they're already doing great tracking and and well, I got another idea for a tracker, Paul. You could have one. Here's a list of people that Biden's appointed that are not horrible left-wing progressive idiots. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, My word, a, not yours. <laughs> no, that would be a short list. That would be a short list. <laughs> Very right? short list. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so what do we, where do we go from here? I mean, as it is early, but we think you get a rough outline of the, of the House and the Senate. Um, you know, we've got leadership issues on our side. We're all concerned that maybe Kevin McCarthy may not do, do as much as we'd hope. And, and everybody has hope yeah. for different things. I'm not a big fan of the impeachment route. I think there are other more constructive things mm -hmm. we can do. Um, and then we got Mitch McConnell, who, who, you know, while he's good on judges, he seems to hide. There's a name for his reason for his nickname, the turtle. He seems to duck his head into a, in, 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 into a shell anytime something tough comes up. So anyway, well, with that bit of editorializing, right. I'll, I'll, exactly. do, I'll give it to you. I think well, that was a question. Maybe it was I think there was a question. So, no, I, um, <laughs> so actually, just a quick thread back to our, the earlier part of our conversation. Some folks are arguing. And again, we still have to sort out the data and really look at everything and how things end up. But some are saying that because many Republicans didn't have a very clear policy solution agenda could yeah. be why some folks, you know, lost or at least made it closer than we thought it would be. Because, you know, a lot of folks may say, I'm having, you know, uh, trouble with my gas bill, my, my energy bill, inflation, crime, you know, the border, et cetera, et cetera. 
but I'm not totally clear what this Republican in my district or in my state would do about those things. So anyway, that's a long way of saying what we believe at Advancing American Freedom, and Mike Pence has been this way you know, for decades, and I've been right there with him, uh, is you got to always have what you're for. You got to have a positive uh, agenda of true conservative solutions. And in our case, we just call them American freedom solutions. You don't have to be a conservative to want more freedom. Uh, that's at least what we would like to think. And that's what we think we can convince more Americans of. You know, sometimes that that conservative phraseology sometimes turns off folks well, in the he, middle, certainly a little left of center. Even, so we're just talking your, about freedom. You want more freedom, you know, across your, different areas of your life. Yeah, e even your title, Paul, American freedom, those two words are going to cause a lot of young left, left <laughs> people to go to their safe spaces. That's right. Get triggered. No, they're, they're not. They're not big fans of the concept of America, nor are they. Nor do they seem to be much interested in freedom. Well, and that's the thing too. And unfortunately, it's even beyond just young folks on college campuses, right? Just look at the experience uh, across America with COVID. There were unfortunately millions of our fellow citizens who were just cheerfully giving up their own freedoms, their own constitutional freedoms. Here, take them. No problem. You don't want me to meet in my religious services? Not a problem. Things like that. And it, it really disturbing. So we felt like we really need to advance freedom, as the name implies, push freedom. So this is another, another, this is, an, and I know this because you wrote it, it's another succinct game plan for what we ought to be doing. You've yeah, got basically. On one hand, we, on one hand the, the Biden accountability for the bad stuff. Yeah. And on the other, it's a, it's a fairly, uh, and I've seen a lot of these massive things about what we ought to do. I, it, 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 it's plain English and it gets you to the essentials pretty quickly. So if you want a roadmap, this would be it. No, I appreciate it. And thank you for saying plain English because that's something we worked hard at because earlier drafts, you know, ultimately it's, we're a bunch of DC folks. So when we were putting it together, <laughs> we had swamp language in there. We had bill numbers and acronyms. And it was like, no, 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 get rid of all of that, right? We want regular normal Americans to be able to read this and be inspired by it and say, yeah, yeah, there is another language. There is another language spoken inside the beltway. <laughs> it, it, it's really true. And we try to put things in there that weren't just federal government solutions either. There's yeah. state and local government solutions. There's things you could do just in the culture, in private yeah. organizations. It's, you know, it touches all realms uh, of life. And what was also great, what we're proud about too, is we, um, we got ideas from across the movement. It wasn't just yeah. A bunch of us sitting in, you know, in a DC uh, high office building, right? It was. Well, I, I, Paul, I thought I was. I thought I was an extrovert until I met you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know everybody, and they like well, you. I'm working on it. <laughs> which is, which is quite an achievement. So I keep getting us off topic. We got a lame duck coming up. Yes. What do we need to do in the lame duck? See, and this is the thing. And again, coming back to the election, now that we have the Georgia runoff, which may decide control of the Senate. That's going to be so much of the focus, but right, conservatives shouldn't lose focus that there are many, many in Washington, both parties, who want to spend more money. And the easiest way to spend more money is through an omnibus appropriations bill, you know, the week before Christmas, when people just want to get out of town, get to their families, get to their beach vacations, get to their parties, or just relax. Um, so that's a very tempting time to say, here's one big bill that funds every possible thing in the federal government. Yeah, it's got some things in there you don't like. Yeah, it's got spending, spending increases, but take it or leave it. Um, we need to work against that so that there's no omnibus appropriations bill at all on this lame duck. It should be done next year when there's going to be Republican control. So, so, the first, the, so the first takeaway is no omnibus appropriations bill. 
yeah, just it no. shouldn't be, just don't do it. You know, yeah. why would you do it when you have departing members, many departing liberals, right? You're going to have more Republicans next year than this year. Um, well, and, it, and it's filled with favors to outgoing members. Oh, yeah. No, no question. In fact, the Senate uh, Appropriations Committee chairman and ranking member are both retiring, which is yeah. dangerous for Washington because, you know, there's temptations to give, like you say, give them parting gifts and name things after them. And we just uh, we just can't have it. So the conservative push should be let's put off any any spending decisions now. Do it in January, February when we have, you know, more uh, reinforcements. Can we do that with the existing uh, makeup of the House? You know, it, it, it takes some gusto. That's the thing, right? It takes takes folks, you know, members willing yeah. to say no and take the well, pressure. Could, could right we view this as an initial test of McCarthy's leadership? And that's the thing. Um, you know, his his or anyone's race for speaker, while it may happen within the party, you know, in the coming weeks, I think next week, uh, the actual vote for speaker doesn't happen until the House floor in January. So yeah, supposedly... Uh, you know, a litmus test, at least from the conservative perspective, would be the extent to which these spending decisions are either handled now or put off until more Republicans are in town. So, so, so what do you make of Mike Lee's, uh, and we're, we're running out of, I've, I've got 53 hours of questions for you. What do you think of Mike <laughs> Lee's, uh, not Mike Lee, but, uh, oh gosh, uh, Scott, uh, Senator Scott. Oh, Rick Scott, Florida. Rick Scott. Yeah, what do you, what do you make of his uh, announcing he'd like to take on Mitch McConnell? You know, uh, and tell me if you've heard differently. At latest, as of you and I talking right now, I, I had heard that he he wasn't going to do that um, just through channels. But again, maybe maybe you've got different info. I think no, I uh, think I don't think it's even remotely practical. I mean, people don't understand how much power Mitch has through control of control of people's election coffers and 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 uh, committees that they want to get on and all the other subtle things like. You know where you're. You know whether you get privileges in the in the Senate gym or even. I mean, it. Mitch has got control, whip hand on every single one of those items. Well, and again, also with the with the outcome of of Senate control still pending, right? Shouldn't sure. we, you know, at least let that play through, and then you know members can discuss how they want to proceed. So what do we do now? We got to. Okay, so I, I want to stick with the lame duck. Appropriations. Anything else we need to be concerned about? Uh, you know, I think that's that's the big one. Other than, okay. I guess the maybe the defense authorization bill, because that's so bipartisan and so popular, and everyone wants to vote for it. There's a temptation then to stick in things that maybe we don't like. Um, uh, it also could be a vehicle where maybe conservatives could try to get things that we do like. You know, like no transgender surgeries at the Pentagon or or something like that. Uh, so there could yeah, the, be some positive fights there too, but yeah, watch out for the the things that might get stuck yeah, the, into the defense, the defense authorization act likely to be laden with green agenda, green yeah. climate agenda items, and yep. also right problems DRT against American agenda, energy. And, and, yeah. Um, so that, you know they're doing social engineering through the Defense Department as much as they're doing it any place else. Yeah, which should be the last place, right? Uh, so so what else should we? be pushing for should we should we fast forward to january what do you think happens then and where do we go from there yeah well yeah and one thing i should mention we started doing with our freedom agenda and again i encourage your listeners to go check it out also on our website advancingamericanfreedom.com uh you'll see there's an introductory video there's a pdf but there's a you know it's just also just right there on the website there's even a spanish version 
uh, because we're you know trying to do increased outreach to our Hispanic friends coming more and more our way. Um, but it really is a menu of options. And we broke it up into three buckets of how do you advance freedom in, uh, in the arenas of culture, opportunity, and leadership. You know, basically social conservative, economic conservative, national security conservative. And again, there's just a variety of, of different things that you could execute from everything from your family and your local community all the way up to the federal government. So I would just say, really take a look at that. It's great not only for your conversations, but it's good for things you can push your state legislators to do, your elected federal representatives to do. And look, and even the Biden administration, there's things we could push on them uh, from the regulatory perspective. So I would say, let's, let's dive into that. And so what we've done is we've started identifying bills already introduced in Congress, just to first start, uh, across different issues. Like we started with pro-life religious liberty bills. Then we did uh, immigration and border security bills saying these bills already introduced would help activate the freedom agenda, put into action uh, this, you know, this plan for freedom. And so I think maybe we as conservatives could do more of that and say, it's great to talk about an agenda. How do we actually activate it? How do we move? Well, and, 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 and you're right. We can't really know anything until we find out what happens with Warnock and, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. I mean, that one, it, it's just its just something, isn't it, that it all comes back down to a Senate race in, in Georgia? Um, yeah. Not, not since Sherman's march to the sea has Georgia been so important. Um, <laughs> exactly right. I just hope that, you know, elected Republicans uh, will, will at least start right out of the gate next year with just things that are not only popular yeah. with conservatives, but that are popular even with Democrats, like for example, photo ID, like you mentioned before, is popular across, uh, you know, across the spectrum. So let's yeah. see if we can have some federal standards for that. Things like that, you know, yeah. there's ways of going about it that that are bipartisan yet conservative. Okay, well, let me put you on the spot and be a little wicked. Um, mm, no, it's it, good. The election's over. It's been over for two days. Now it's time to talk about the next election. Mm. Can you handicap the presidential candidates? Man, honestly, no. And, I, you know, although I'm going to do my best to dodge this question, <laughs> I, I will, I will you say can. you're allowed to, but I just, no, but I, but there. I will say that uh, it just shows you that even in the course of a week, how much just the feeling around the possible 2024 candidates have changed. Yeah. President Trump, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just even this week. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, we've got Mike Pence's book, his autobiography coming out November 15th, that could be another factor in, in all of this. So I would just does say- he talk you know, about January 6th? That, does he talk about January 6th in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, there's already some excerpts that uh, the Wall Street Journal published yesterday. So they're out there, some of the excerpts. And yeah, that's going to be some of the uh, the most hot button stuff of, of the book. It's just talking about that day, just factually, just what happened. I think he needs to do that because there's so much confusion and anger and emotion surrounding that. And it's been so distorted by um, the January 6th committee and, and everything since then. So I think to get it out and set the record state from his point of view is important. Yeah, just even but some you, basic facts. But frankly, even I on his team didn't know. I was reading the excerpts and I'm like, oh, God, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's he just wants to get some of the uh, some of the well, actual I, events and moments. Yeah, and I, I, I know there. Mike, and I wanted Mike to run for president a long time ago. But I remember a, that. He's a, yeah, he's, he's he's a decent man. He's also a courageous man. And I don't believe he backed down from something. If he, if he thought he could do one thing and do it legally and morally, he would have done that. And he yeah. made a different decision. So I think we all ought to know 
what his thinking was. Um, but oh, you're but right, this whole thing in Dade County, that. can you believe what DeSantis did in Dade County? Isn't that fantastic? That's yeah. just so inspiring, not just for the great state of Florida, but just yeah. all of America, right? That we just have um, the Hispanic population just understanding where ideas of freedom lie and how it benefits their lives, their families, their communities, their businesses. It's, it's really inspiring to see and look forward to that sticking and growing you know, around the country. Well, we're going to have a lot of spectator sport in the next next <laughs> coming up. A lot of fun. The presidential stakes. So, Paul, last word. What else? Uh, want to wrap this up? Yeah, I guess. Well, again, I'll wrap it up by you know where I started. Thanks again for having me on. You're a great warrior, great friend, great fighter. Look forward to you know ongoing collaboration. But yeah, we just say to your your folks, just check out advancingamericanfreedom.com. A lot of stuff on there. Not even just the stuff we talked about today. We have a, an American Energy. Uh, promotion campaign on there, great videos, smacking the Biden administration, just so much other content that's on there that I think you'll really enjoy and look forward to sharing. Okay, well, Paul, thanks. Paul Teller, uh, thanks for joining. Great conversation. We'll follow up in a few months when we know a little bit more about the shape of politics in town. Uh, thanks, everybody, for taking in the Bill Walton Show. As you know, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms and YouTube, Rumble, uh, and also this show, this show airs on every Monday night on, on CPAC now, and we're adding a second show. We might be adding another night on CPAC. So anyway, thanks for, thanks for taking it in. And Paul Teller, as always, has been a, a brilliant guide into what's going on in Washington. Thanks, Paul, and, and thanks Appreciate all for joining. You. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.